so. Are you curious? Welcome to the Curiosity Codex. I am your ardent enthusiast, Kyle Olson. With me is my hapless cohort, Rob Kabat. Hey! Well, here we are, part four. Uh, but there won't be any whales in this one. Oh, wow. <laughs> you mean we won't be voyaging anywhere? Oh, no, no, there's no... Yeah, no. <laughs> so, but I've, I've heard the confusion out there, even though uh, you know we're recording this before anyone hears it. We've done three episodes so far, and we haven't mentioned any of the characters you've ever heard of, and none that have been in any feature films. Are you so much of a hipster you think that just because something is popular, it can't be good? And... <laughs> Rob, I'm shocked you would post that anonymously and not just say it to my face. That's not cool, bro. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm glad we did it this way. I'm glad you, you this was very wise. This was a very wise I, way to take the trip. I, I, have a, I have a system. Whether people are going to like it or not, I don't know. But uh, I have a plan. So it's time to talk about what is the numerically most popular of all Star Trek shows. It's the seven-season juggernaut that transformed the adventures of Kirk and Company into an actual sci-fi franchise tng as we trekkies love to call it or from 1987 it's star trek the next generation it's almost insane 87 87 can you believe that and i and you know what the reason well and i and i know this well because we have talked about this and other things we've we've discussed i fell in love with this show in college but i didn't get to college until 1990 Mm-hmm. I've completely ignored it because I was in high school and I was busy. I was busy doing high school things, right? So I didn't really watch TV. And and fortunately, it sounds like I, I that's okay because, again, my, my fascination with the third season of a lot of shows, right? <laughs> I, I came in at the right time. But I've watched it all. And, and I will tell you, like, this could not, in the 90s, this was a defining thing of pop culture. In ways that people today, if you didn't grow up during it or you weren't alive during it, you may not fully understand. Yeah, I mean, the, the people think of Star Trek as being a niche thing, and it did start out that way. But Star Trek Next Generation was a dominant force in pop culture at the time. And to think of the differences, I, I was just doing some some quick Googling while, while you were talking there. The A-Team was still on the air when Star Trek The Next Generation started. Oh, wait Knight a Rider had just had its last season. Wait, what? Yeah, can you believe that? Like, I was just thinking, like, I'm like, oh, what else was on TV at the same time? Yeah, but the thing is that with Star Trek Generation is that because it was produced independently, it was not ever put up against any of those things. It was, it was never a primetime oh, show. Oh, right, right. Like, I, we don't need to get into the specifics of television stuff, but right. it was basically aired whenever, wherever. Like, it, people would buy it and do that, but... It became the most popular syndicated show at its time. I mean, I think I saw somewhere that the the season finale was watched by 30 million people live. Jeez. That is a, that is a shockingly large number. That is a, that is the voice. That's American Idol. Those are. I mean, it's it was a gigantic uh, thing at the time and all over the place. I mean, like magazines and, and articles and interviews. I mean, it was it was a big thing. Everybody knew it. So that's the thing. I, I like, why did it stay for fourth? Well, we're going to get into that. But um, this is pretty much quintessential Star Trek. Like, this is sort of what became the template. Like, this is everything happened because of Next Generation. So it is sort of like the biggest footprint after the original series. The original series obviously had, was, was the one that started everything. But Next Generation is what transformed it 
uh, from just a one-off television show into an actual living thing that is still continuing on to this day and more stuff coming out in the future. Um, and that being said, it is very much of a procedural show. This is a, this is still in the one-and-done method. So this is the, the Enterprise flies to a planet. Usually Jean-Luc Picard, our captain, will say what's going on. Something will happen. Something goes terribly wrong. Maybe uh, their whiny kid falls into the wrong <laughs> arboretum and turns uh, <laughs> plants and has to be put on trial. Maybe an evil tar monster decides it's going to block just them from that. getting away. I mean, you don't know. Uh, and then everything. And then by the time they get to the end of the episode, then oh, everything's resolved and fine, and they fly off. And and so that's the thing that this is the reset button is very much a big deal. Is but I'm not saying it's a negative thing, but. It is definitely built into the show. Uh, characters change very, very slowly. Uh, I say I made a short list of character progression. Uh, Riker gets a beard. Data gets a cat. Wesley gets lost. That's pretty much the entire progression of the characters. Like they, they, they're, they mentally they develop and they and they get more complex as as we do them. But don't expect a, a Walter White kind of transformation over anybody. Uh, I mean, say I, I, the. Everybody has their their arcs and they get through, but it's that's not really the part of the show. It's about big ideas, and it's falling in love with these characters and then putting them in new situations and watching what they do. That is the the heart and soul of Next Generation. Because by the time you get to the later seasons, the fifth, sixth, seventh seasons, you understand these characters so well, and you you you're never worried about them, but you want to see how they're going to get out of these situations. So within that the that framework, that confine, they have told some of the best Trek stories of all time and some of the best sci-fi stories of all time and had an all-star group of writers that came through and from there went on to redefine sci-fi in a bunch of other shows as well. So like this is a, a breeding ground for great sci-fi uh, on all different stripes from novelists to writers and then uh, it also inspiring astronauts and scientists oh, yeah. and things people to, to seek to seek this out uh it, it has a, a a huge huge imprint on the culture uh but let's talk about where we are in the timeline okay so this is 2364 and the best analogy i can come up with is everything is awesome this is like the pinnacle of human society at the time um hunger is a thing of the past because all food is now made by replicators. You can just walk up to a console, press a couple buttons, and get any food you want prepared any way you want. It's great. Um, you don't have to go on shuttles anymore. You can just be beamed from place to place, even within the ship, like from one side of the ship to the other. You can get transported, uh, and it's totally fine. Uh, communicators are no longer things they have to hold in their hand like we do with our phones. Everything is in small badges that they are, are attached to their chest. So they can just tap it and get communication with anybody else on the ship or anywhere else on any of the planets because that's how powerful the thing is. But at the same time, space is still, as Douglas Adams says, big, really, really big. Uh, so there's a lot of the galaxies left to explore. So there, there is a much more of a, a calm I know, society built around Earth and the Federation and stuff too. So everything is everything is cool, man. Like it's just fine. Like nobody's fighting with each other. Everybody's got enough. Every, everybody's just chill. And so that goes on to the ship too. So it's not this sort of like two guns uh, out taming the Wild West feel before. No, everything's kind of settled. Like usually what they're going to find is either uh, people who are not quite as 
culturally evolved along the way, or, you know, a space god who wants to put them on trial. Like, uh-huh. it's, it's you know, big scientific uh, kind of things. But this is much more of the, the, the Enterprise... D. This is a, so like the. There's been several. Of the, I'm, I'm trying not to get super nerdy because I don't want to sure. scare uh, some of the, the new re- listeners away, watchers, viewers, Trekkies of the future. But so this is Enterprise D, and so it is a much much bigger ship, and it's much calmer. It is much as opposed to like a. It's this is not uh, the Serenity. This is not the Millennium Falcon. This is not a, a small ship. This is a giant ocean liner. Uh, and so it is not only do they have all the these sort of military types, which is Starfleet there, which they are military by rank and designation, but they're not military in terms of like um, drilling and, and yes or no sir kind of stuff. Um, they're much more a really calm Navy. Well, they're just like out there on the, on the wide sea, just like, you know, checking stuff out. Can I tell you? OK, so if you've never even if, if you somehow missed Next Generation or this is something that you're thinking of getting into. Here's the three things you need to know about the show. Oh, yes. About how much they broke. And this is brilliant. I can't say this enough. The cast, you could talk for hours about the oh, the, yeah. the, the, the brilliance of the cast. Who's yeah. the Kirk or who's the whatever. No, no, no. I'm not even going to get into that. Here's the three things you need to know about the show, about what they set out to do and why this worked. Number one, the ship, like you said, is a cruise ship. It's a hotel. Yes. It is part battleship, part hotel, because the theory was... If you're going to send a whole bunch of people out in space for long times, let them take their families with them so that they can have a good mental and emotional health along with their service. Right. Think about so that. They have on, on the Enterprise, they have schools. They yes. They have daycare. They have, you know, places to be entertained. Like, it, it is a living society. It, it, so, right there, that idea, that was new. That was something completely different. Number two. We talk about the design of things. Mm -hmm. The bridge of this ship is not only one of the most stylish and beautiful. It's like a living room. It does not. I mean, that I mean, you if you saw that, you just went, whoa, this isn't what this is not a submarine. This is not a this is not a bridge of something. No, no, no. Right. Because like back in the Enterprise, we talked about how everything is hard metal and edges and and switches and things. Not by this point. This is gorgeous. This shows a level of refining and of maturity and of and I mean, just serenity. I mean, they have to use the word there. Right. But like (laughs) there's a level of there's a level of achievement here. And number three, you have a captain to the right is his first officer. To the left on the bridge is oh, a is a point. character whose job is to tell him what people feel. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. On his his left hand is a counselor. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, if that doesn't tell you the the brilliant take the people who put this show together had for how wh- how are you going to continue the story? But how are you going to make it different? Yeah. There's your three reasons. That's the reason why it works. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the bridge itself has a great feng shui. Yes, because like it's they're leather chairs. They're like raked back a bit, so people are are already like physically reclined. Like they're not like right on the edge of their seats, you know, ready to fire photon torpedoes. They're they're calm. They're like they're they're mellow. They have all the all the controls. There's no more switches. There's no more dials. It's all 
LCD screens, touch screens. It's it's iPhones before it's iPads before we knew what an iPad was. That's exactly right. Yeah, and like the reason iPad, the reason iPads called the iPad is because of Star Trek because they came up with the pad. He's got the ones who had the original concept before Steve Jobs looked and went like, I bet you I can make one of those. Yeah, I mean, you've got that. You got he's the they're in the in the captain's ready room. He's got a fish tank. I mean, come on, like. The whole aesthetic of this, and you know, when people think about next generation, I was carpet. Everything's carpet. Oh, carpeted. (laughs) I, I, and well, and then we could get into like even some of the other technologies. But you know, one of the things I think always people kind of think of when they think of next generation, they think of the theme, and a lot of Mm -hmm. people forget that it's not the theme is not from the next generation. That was not that music is not was not made for them. It was made for the Star Trek the motion picture. They they borrowed it. Like all right, I mean, so the, the I still come back to your families are there. It is a living room bridge. You're the captain is worried about emotions as much as the trigger. Holy yeah. cow! I mean, yeah. that's because yeah. yeah. because uh, as like I say, we're, next episode spoiler alert for those of you who like to be surprised. Uh, we're gonna talk about the original series. Right. The original series uh, is much more of a cowboy show. Uh, and we're going to get into that, what that means. But, like, it is the wild frontier. And so uh, you have your main captain is is the sheriff. And so, like, he's you know ready to, to punch or shoot or kiss, whatever it is. This is not that. This is master and commander. Like, oh, Jean-Luc yes. Picard is much more, is a very stiff, formal person. And so he expects the same of his crew. He, he has a level of discipline that he expects all these things. And he is much more of a diplomat than he is a, you know, punch him on the jaw and shoot him in the face kind of guy. Like, that's his that's his he, first officer. <laughs> yeah. He's got that he's got that guy. And yeah. you know, and, he, and he's and he's got a, a security officer who's ready to throw down uh with D to B, but that's not his thing. He's gonna he's gonna talk to you about this stuff and make it so violence is the last resort, which is very much of a different thing. So he approaches his situations on, hey, let's just calm down and talk about this. Uh and so it's it's a very different feel. So that also makes the show much more serene and much more like, let's think about what's going on. So, okay, let's talk about the the step out of the inside of the show and step outside a little bit. So the first season sucks. <laughs> if anything, you listen to this episode, you you know that this is the established, we have to establish up front. The first season of Next Generation is terrible. You got to watch the first episode. You got to watch the first episode. watch the first episode. That, that, that is a requirement. Right. Uh, but after that, oh. yeah, you, there's maybe one or two. That you, this is the one that you agree with me. You could watch a summary and you'd be just like, yeah, yeah that's you watch fine. the summary, you'll be okay. Yeah. Um, everybody is really rough. Yeah. Like uh, the the actors are uh, like they're they're getting into their characters and so they're 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 sort of stretching out and, and figuring out there. Um, but everything is is very like trying to figure stuff out uh, and know what to do. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even talking about special effects. I'm not even talking about uh, design or any of that kind of stuff. So that's fine. The only thing that, that is the major difference is they are wearing jumpsuits. They're literally wearing Wait, jumpsuits. I was just going to say, you got to place a little bit of the blame on a single one-piece polyester jumpsuit. That's yeah. a problem. That yeah. You can't tell me that doesn't affect acting. That's True. why it changes True. in third season. And then uh, later, and uh, women are still wearing sh- uh, like mini dresses. Well, so and are also, men. So, some of the men are some wearing of the men are too, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Uh, but they still are like have to do that. Uh, and you'll see the <laughs> you you can trace sort of the evolution of uh, costume design by watching what Deanna Troy is in because they have her in so many different outfits before they finally go. Hey, she's a member of the crew. Maybe we should put her in a <laughs> uniform. Yes. 
What a wild idea. Uh, so a part of this is is, uh, is is because of the great Bird of the Galaxy, Gene Roddenberry himself. So Gene Roddenberry was older. Obviously, he had created the show in the 60s, and now here it is in the 80s. And so time had passed. And he had very specific ideas of what he wanted to do, but was not as great about implementing them or communicating them to his staff. And so the first two seasons are a little rough because there was a confusion about what he wanted versus what they could provide. And so they're figuring out the tone and, and what they wanted to do throughout it. So by the time of the second season, his health had started to decline. And so he stepped away. And so he, he sort of created, he got a, a creative group together to take over from there. And unfortunately that's where the show gets better. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just because like there's a, in the same way that people have their complaints about the, the star Wars prequels, and now we're looking at Star Wars today, and you kind of go, oh, well, maybe there's a certain point where a creator has to step away from his creation once it has gone out into the world. A larger conversation for another thing. But nonetheless, we all of this, especially these, these uh, what will be five episodes, to Gene Roddenberry, so I have nothing but positive things to say about him. But however, uh, th there is a, a certain thing you can say about the things that would go on after him, maybe he was better at inspiration than he was at leading at this point in his life. Uh, unfortunately, he then died during season five of the show, uh, but his creation lives on and has provided many hours of enjoyment and uh, financial security for a lot of people. And so we're grateful for that. Um, so uh, one of the things that he established is there, there are no story arcs. Uh, so the, the same kind of thing. There's there's Occasionally there's a two-parter and they, they got to the point where they realized, oh, if we did... Uh, a cliffhanger at the end of the season, people will more come back to see the other side of it. And so you'll have those kind of things. But for the most part, um, it is one and done. Uh, you will have people come back. So like a character will show up and have an adventure like you know, uh, uh, there. There is a, a Klingon serving on the Enterprise. That is a, a, a major thing that you find out. Like that is how much peace has has changed things. Was that a former, the the most, if, if those of you have watched Discovery, no, uh, the chief antagonist of races for the Federation. Uh, now there is a Klingon actually serving aboard the Enterprise. Um, and so he'll like, you know, his his family shows up and like his, you know, his parents and his um son and like they, over the course of time they will show up and go and they'll c come and go so that kind of stuff continues on so they are continuing that way but it's never like from episode to episode a person going through a journey like whatever they're going through they have wrapped up in 44 minutes and oh, they're yeah. done right you know like whatever it is like oh i can't sleep oh it's because aliens are invading your dream well but by the time the credits roll done and dealt with what's funny is though is that this show uh arguably has maybe one of the top five cliffhanger moments. Oh yes, in the history of television, yeah. <laughs> you could honestly put it up 100%. there. I think. In the history of sci-fi, and probably in the history of television. Oh, I'd put it in the top ten of history of television for sure. Like, yeah. so they they yeah, were they, able to they, figure it out. They paint themselves in a corner so hard that you're like, how in the world are they ever right. going to get out? Of it? And and I would say uh, because they did such a good job, the the entire universe changed forever from right. that like so right. many things uh, oh know, yeah from, from that in terms of internally um so yeah but it, and it, but it really goes to show the vast amount of creativity of okay you have the standard set of characters you can't change them at all you have 44 minutes go and okay. over the course of their 170 some episodes they did an amazing amount of work like the sheer creativity 
that those limitations created caused some unbelievable storytelling. Uh, the the amount of stuff they did. I mean, they. Um, I say I'm trying to trying to be vague, but a character gets to live an entire 80 year life over oh. the course of a 144 minute episode. Yeah, Rob knows exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, who else? Uh, That's one of the you best have, you have people. Um, you know, having their conversation with their families and getting with that, like they're discovering secrets about themselves. They've um, they having to make hard sacrifices they never would have. I mean, just. Uh, amazing, amazing stories um, done in just a, a a short, compressed period of time. Well, and because of an ingenious plot device, you also get westerns, uh, yes. 1950s gangster dramas. That's right, yeah, that's right. Because this is the first, this show that um, first created what's called the holodeck. So uh, virtual reality exists in the Star Trek universe. You can walk into a room, tell it voice wise exactly what you want to see and it will do it for you including creating entire characters that will live and breathe and do whatever you wanted to um you can you can you know sled down everest you could uh, solve a murder with sherlock holmes whatever you want to do you're limited only by your imagination and of course things can go terribly wrong right. so a recurring thing becomes they try to do something on the holodeck and it uh, causes uh, problems or they get stuck in whatever simulation they're in or uh, a, a character from there suddenly learns that he's a holographic character and then tries to do something in the outside world. I mean, it, they, they've spun, I, I, some of the critics would say, far too many stories out of the maybe, holodeck. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, but they're still, but you know what, now but, you look back and they're classic. It's fine. Yeah, it's an idea factory. I mean, like, it's just the fact that you can, within the confines of the ship and the show, you could go anywhere and do anything that opens up a wide variety of, of fascinating. And they've done some really, really fascinating things with that. Uh, that's the nice thing about this show is that they'll take one piece of technology and then find a hundred ways to, to spin off. The, like, the, like the transporter. The transporter was invented, story-wise, to get characters from the ship to the shore that much faster. Like, boom, boom, they're there. So you don't have to be like two hours later as they're still flying their shuttle to get down. Right. But from that, they're like, okay, well, what if... What if uh, two transporters were on one person and only one made it back to the ship? What happens to the other transporter beam? Or um, what if someone stepped out of the beam as it was going to, like all these, and they, they come up with all these different things of like, what if, what if, what if, what if, and it causes them to to have, a, you know, whatever will occur over the course of the episode, what will happen? You know, like it, if they change this, then what happens there? I mean, these, these fascinating thought experiments as they go along, uh, but still, centered around character. So it's like, how will these people react to this particular situation? So, uh, I mean, obviously, it was not only incredibly uh, popular in terms of ratings, uh, but it also got, was nominated for a ton of awards. It was nominated for, I was shocked to learn this, 58 Emmys. Wait, what? They were nominated for 58 Emmys. Wait, how many they And win? they won 19 Emmys. Wait, I had no idea about that. I know. What? Now, obviously, most of those are in visual effects and stuff. And, yeah, but... And, and makeup effects. I mean, especially the makeup in this is is astonishing. Sure. Especially even for the time and even for now. Um, so, I mean, like, so, you know, you, you snobs can be like, oh, they never won Best Acting. Like, well, okay, fine. But you don't, you don't, you're not doing garbage and getting nominated for almost 60 Emmys over the course of seven seasons. I mean, Patrick Stewart, well, Patrick Stewart got robbed. Yeah, Frazier, you suck. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I don't think that's the category we nominated. But also, they were 
<laughs> That's oh, right. Never mind. Forget me. <laughs> Lara Cat? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Different, well, different category. Yeah, different category. Different category. I, I, just, I blame LA Law and ER. That's it. That's, no, you're right. You're early night. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> Almost no one has a bad thing to say about Next Generation. Like, it's one of those things where, like, uh, Trekkies argue. We, we argue all the time about all different things. And you get, like, what's, who's your favorite captain? But, like, nobody's like, ugh, Next Generation. Oh, yeah. No. Actually, I say nobody, but I'm sure I can find some message boards that are... I love. But, like, it is one of those things where it's just beloved. Like, it just has a warm place in uh, most people's hearts. It's great. Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, I actually forgot to talk about this anyway, because we're here we are on the, on the fourth episode, and I haven't talked about the recurring thing that happens in almost every Star Trek episode, which is the non-human surrogate character. I'm sure there's a better term for it, oh. but uh, that's all I can come up with. In every Star Trek series, there is a character who is not human who is used as an example of what humanity is like or has to learn about humanity. And so they it always it ends up usually getting a lot of the focus and usually gets a lot of fan love too because it is not a human being, but people really respond to the character. So the, obviously the first one of this is Spock. And so Spock was one of the big ones. He is half human. He's half Vulcan. And people just went crazy for him. Um, in this show, it is Lieutenant Commander Data. So Data is actually an android. He is not a human being at all. Never was human, never will be. Uh, and so, But he is sort of doing the Pinocchio journey of, I want to be a real boy. So he's learning about how to be human by being around humans. And he has he is like probably the second most important character in the whole thing. He becomes the focus of a lot of the stories, sometimes to the detriment of the other characters. But Brent Spiner plays him so amazingly well. Uh, and you get to, you don't understand how good of a job he's doing until they start giving him other roles to play in the show. And then you go, oh, this guy's really good. Because yeah. every time he shows up as another character, you get to see another level of, of his performance. And so he, every show has it. I, I can't believe it took me this long to like mention this, but every, like uh, in Steve Six Nine, it's Odo. So Odo is a non human, non physical form character and so he is uh, old he is irascible and annoyed and loves following the rules and everybody sort of gravitates to him and so he becomes uh you know a central character for it too now ds9 is great because it has a bunch of these kind of things but like there's always one in every show that they use to sort of reflect on humanity and how people are different uh in that way so and and data is the one in the show and it's still you know the character still continues on because there's a sequel series, but we'll, we'll talk about that later. So, so the question is, if it's the most popular, if it's the most respected, if it's the most awarded, why am I putting it forth? <laughs> why did I wait so this long to get to it? Well, part of it is that just sitting down to watch it, it's kind of hard to get into because it its rhythms are so different than modern television. Yes. And I, I know this for a fact because my 13-year-old daughter loves Discovery. I, should, I, I After I watched the first season, I was like, I bet you she'd really get into this. And I showed it to her, and she did. She loves that show so hard. She's shipping that show, <laughs> pairing up characters, all sorts of things. And she, I've never seen her respond to a show and get into it so much, so much vocally that I have to watch it with her second because she won't stop talking during the whole show. But I, I said, I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay, well, I knew that 
other shows were coming out. So I'm like, like, let's watch Next Generation. I showed the first episode of Next Generation, and it was like crickets. <laughs> like, it, I mean, it's it's such a serious sort of stiff backed, right? Um, you know, like cerebral kind of show. It's really hard to it, it, get into it from a cold start. Right. No, and, and I think, well, that's true. And again, sensibilities. Okay, the fact that you told me it was on TV when the A-Team was still on TV. <laughs> I mean, my God. Like, I, yeah, that you just forget. So, no, it, it's different. And we, and we talked about this in the previous episode a little bit about the nuances of, Enterpr- of uh, sorry, Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. It, it This is a show that, you know, you, you can find a whole bunch of lists of greatest episodes and, and yes. you can get that. But this was a show that the cast gelled. By the time you got to the end... Oh, absolutely. You loved this cast and they worked together. It just it just completely gelled and you just fell in love with with who they were. And I mean, again, you know, when we talk about like pop culture and stuff, I mean, make no mistake, this show was responsible for an entire toy line, for for yeah. literally an entire toy company. Yeah. There was a time in the nineties you would go to a Toys R Us, if you don't know what those are, it's the toy aisle of Target, right? <laughs> and an entire aisle yeah. was devoted to Star Trek toys. Right. All because, because they, of the they, show. Because of the hundreds of characters that were introduced, everyone was going to get a figure. They it, were like determined that if you even if a character only showed up on one episode, you were going to get a figure. It 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 spun off multiple spin-off series. Yeah. It had an entire Las Vegas casino attraction devoted to it. I mean, right. Yeah, it it was a big cultural impact and uh, you know, again, if you get if you get into the third season, you'll enjoy it. Right. You see that and, and that's the other part that uh, my next point about why is 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 I do I save it for later is because it's really hard to say this is one of the best sci-fi series of all times. Just skip the first 40 episodes. Yeah, right. Exactly. Ah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I and I, I once anyone comes to me with that, I'm always like, "Oh, no, I'm just yeah. not going to." So, this this is actually what this episode is doing. I'm trying to say it is worth a journey. However, a lot of it is not great. But I mean, you can say that most shows. I mean, most of the second season of Breaking Bad is kind of terrible. And let's let's face it. Remember the shoplifting thing? Come on. So, but it's it's it is worth it because the more you get to know these characters, the more you love it. And and Rob is absolutely right. They gel as ensemble so amazingly well that you can pick any two characters and put them together in a scene, and it's riveting. Yes. Totally. Like there, there's not there is there is everyone is pulling their weight. There is the there's not one person on there where you're like, ugh, that guy again. Oh no. <laughs> well like no. But he well, well he gets know, out of here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we love him, but no, I mean yeah, no, yeah, no. yeah. All right, so let's talk about that. So obviously the 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 big thing that was that was controversial and still is for some odd reason controversial is the fact they put a kid on the enterprise. Okay, so Will Wheaton. Now we love Will Wheaton. Of course. Uh, I have I have been privileged enough to make the man. He is he is he was super cool to me, uh, even though I was fan fanboying out uh, with him. But he was brought in as like the wunderkind, like he was the Doogie Hauser. Is that a is there a modern, more modern reference than Doogie Hauser? Uh, what is, what is I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of. There always usually seems to be one, right? Who's the one now? Yeah, I don't oh, even. Oh man, I don't know. Wow, this my my forties are showing. Oh no, kidding! Um, yeah. So, I, oh, there's a new Doogie Howser coming out. That's right. So, like, so that I'm a just I'm not behind the times. I'm ahead of the oh, times, Rob. <laughs> he was brought in as like the super brilliant kid. Gene Roddenberry loved this idea and and wanted him on there too. And so it became a lot of like, 
well, uh, I think you'll find. And so it ended up Wesley saving the Enterprise a bunch of times. And by like the third or fourth time, people are like, okay. <laughs> like, we have a lot of brilliant scientists and trained professionals here. It doesn't have to be the freaking kid every time. Right. And so there was a bit of like snobbery backlash against Wesley Crusher. Uh, and so they were like, ugh, not my Star Trek. Get him off the bridge. Ugh. Okay. But, you know, when you're a kid watching it, that's kind of awesome. Right. Like to see, right. and, and you can see, it depends if you're, if you're you know, a 50-year-old person and you're seeing like this 16-year-old kid who's solving all the problems, you're like, ugh. But if you're 16 and you're seeing a 16-year-old kid on the bridge of the Enterprise solving all the problems, you're like, hell yeah. yeah. No. So it caused a big backlash. And eventually he left the show uh, and then he's off wandering around the galaxy. Actually, <laughs> this is one of the weird unresolved plot lines of he, he just sort of. Steps off into the universe and is never seen again. But Picard, Picard season three. <laughs> uh, let's hope so. I mean, so. Really? Wherever Wesley Crusher is, I hope he's happy because uh, uh, Will Wheaton does not deserve any of the hate for that. Oh, let's yeah. not forget that he was just an actor doing a job. Totally. Yeah. yeah In the yeah. same way that uh, uh, Wyatt Russell is just an actor doing a job. You know, like, now the di- now now okay. The difference there is you're not his, supposed to like. Him. Yeah, his job, he's doing his job. Will Wheaton's job was not to be hated. <laughs> like, no, like, no, she's oh my god. Yeah, plus you know his his wardrobes was was never so. Uh, so the nice, but the the nice thing about going into next generation now is you don't need to know anything. Like everything I've I've told you in here is actually more than you do. Like you you did the extra credit by listening to this before you go and watch it because. They don't assume you know anything. So everything is explained to you. Plus, the the roots of everything that, that we talked about in other shows start here. The first Ferengi are in Next Generation. The first Cardassians. The first appearance of Q. All of these things start here. And they go on from there. So you are not expected to have done advanced reading. Uh, you can just go in cold and they'll learn stuff as the characters learn. And they are really good at explaining things, possibly over explaining, but they're really good at like letting you know what's going on and the history if you need them. Every once in a while, they'll brush up against an original series thing, uh, but it's pretty, pretty infrequent. And they do a good job of, of saying like, like, oh, here's the mission report from that of what happened here. Uh, and they go, so. It is very thinky, I would say. Uh, there's a lot more debate and uh, conversations about ethical quandaries than you would think from a big, heavy sci-fi show. But um, I think that's one of its strengths is that it leads with its head, uh, but it still has a heart. So, so you're, you're saying to yourself, okay, so if that's a big thing, there's a Next Generation series on right now. Why aren't we talking about that? Well, <laughs> that's called Star Trek Picard. Uh, and it is a 100% sequel series. Uh, <laughs> I think that show is probably the most inaccessible of all Star Trek shows because if you see nothing, you go into that show, you are going to be lost. Oh, totally. Like, nothing gets the quality of the show or the quality of the acting and the quality of the effects are all top tier. Right. But it is so much built on the bones of what they did in Next Generation. Right. Like from the from the opening shot, like you'll be like, what is happening here? Right. Uh, that is a show also that uh, just, it, it follows uh, the rule we've established about Star Trek shows. <laughs> First season kind of sucks. <laughs> I think the second, it's, it's, a, it's, it's good. We enjoyed it, but oof, it had some problems too. I think the second season is gonna be much better once they've now figured out what kind of show they want to do. So I would not recommend going into that one cold uh, because I think you're going to be lost. 
but once you've experienced all of next generation or as much as you want to like like i said there are lots of good episode guides out there hop around you know watch a watch a bunch of them and, and fall in love with it and then when you've watched the final episode and have a tear in your eye as they do that final shot uh you can go I wonder whatever happened to Jean-Luc and you can jump ahead and jump 30 or 40 years, whatever it was, uh, and see what happened. That's the only way I recommend watching that show and, for and, a new person. And then you'll also, after watching that last episode, go, but wait, didn't I just see that? No, wait, that's not what happened. <laughs> Hold on. never mind. Uh, 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 ooh, what does that mean? Uh, okay. So that, so that is my, um, all-American meat and potatoes recommendation uh, for this part of the menu. Star Trek Next Generation. Watch the first episode, and then you'd be a little picky and choosy. Uh, but I, I think it is very much worth the, the trip, and there is a reason why it is uh, the most dominant of all of the Star Trek series uh, after the original one, because I know there's a lot of people who would be like, uh, excuse me. So <laughs> after that. I would say this one had the biggest cultural impact. We can agree on that, right? No, yes. probably not. But let's move on. So it's been four episodes now, and I haven't said these words, and I'm about to. Captain James T. Kirk of the Starship Enterprise. For the last outing, we're going to talk about the original series, and you'll, I'll explain to you why the most important of all Star Trek is also the last on my list. So set a course for the second star to the right. And go do something nice for yourself. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the next chapter in the Curiosity Codex, but there are still many pages left to decipher. We're part of the True Story FM family of podcasts. Find out more about us at truestory.fm. Our theme music is Intrusion by Severed Personality, a.k.a. Kevin McLeod. The voice of the Codex is Vicki Hall. Find her on the web at vickihall.squarespace.com. My co-host is Rob Cabosco. Find him with me on the Marvel Movie Minute podcast. And my name is Kyle Olson. The Codex is closed for now. <laughs>